Hey Logo Geeks, Ian Paget here and on this week's podcast I'm interviewing Michael Brinnygroff to talk about preparing and saving logo files. But before we jump into that, I want to mention a collection of free ebooks that I put together called the Logo Designers Box Set. It's six ebooks I've written for you to help you master the art of logo design and make money from your talents. It's totally free to download. Just head to boxset.logogeek.uk. Again, to get those six ebooks totally free, just head to boxset.logogeek.uk. So as mentioned this week, we're going to be talking about the files that you send your client once you've completed uh, your logo design. And to help me do that, I've invited my friend Michael Brinney-Groff on, who's the creator of Logo Package Express, which is an incredible extension for Adobe Illustrator that drastically speeds up the creation of a comprehensive package of logo files. For anyone that's not aware of that and wants to go and check it out, head to logogeek.uk forward slash extension and to get 20% off, use the promo code logogeek. In this interview, we discuss how you prepare a logo once it's complete, the files that you need to put together to send your clients, and we also dive into the inspiring journey that Michael took to design, build, and launch his own product to generate a passive income. So let's jump straight into this. Here is Michael Brinney-Groth. I think to kick off a uh, uh, discussion, can you talk through what files graphic designers should ideally be sending clients once they've completed their logo? Yeah, certainly. I think that there is a there's a set of files from which to choose, and you don't always have to choose all of those files, um, but they're definitely all worth considering. So, I guess the first way to kind of split them would be between vector formats and um, what would be called raster or bitmap files. And the bitmap files are the JPEGs, PNGs. They aren't scalable. Um, You can't print them out at any size and have them look nice. And then there's the vector file formats. And vector file formats um, are something that you can scale up. You can print it at the size of a billboard or the size of a business card, and it's the same file. So you definitely want to provide your clients both with a vector format at least and a raster format because those raster or bitmap files, which don't scale, um, are good for the web, things like their websites, their social media. So uh, as far as what those file formats actually are, the vector formats that you can provide are um, your native design file, whether you use Illustrator or you use something like Affinity Designer, there will be sort of a file that that program puts out automatically. Um, I guess Inkscape would probably be another one that maybe people are using for free. But for you know the purposes of this, I'll just refer to it as like an Illustrator file. And then there's a the PDF. Um, PDF is great because pretty much anybody can open a PDF and look at it. And if you're a designer, you can open a PDF up in your design program and take a look at the file and edit it. Um, and then the last, well, I guess EPS, um, which stands for encapsulated postscript, I believe, um, is also a vector format. Uh, you might check me on that but you can save things in an EPS that are vector or raster. Um, But EPS, if saved properly, will also scale up like a vector. And then SVG is the vector format for the web. So those are all the vector formats. Yeah, I've always liked to describe raster files as you know they're built up of pixels. So if you scale it above a certain size, you get to see the, the pixels and... Uh, vector files that are made of mathematical points and because of that it, you can scale it indefinitely which is the reason why it's primarily recommended for logo design so yeah I'll that, let you carry on no that's <laughs> absolutely that's absolutely right and that's a good way to think about it one is using sort of math and the other one is using the pixels on your screen yeah yeah exactly yeah um 
but the the raster versions, the ones that refer to the pixels um, that you should be sending are a JPEG and a PNG. And the differences between the JPEG and the PNG are that the, I mean, there's a lot of differences, but the important differences are that a JPEG always has to be saved with a background. It doesn't matter what your file looks like. If you save a JPEG, it's going to have like a white background. So if you needed to put the logo on something, you know, like a color background, that white box would always be behind it. Um, but a PNG has transparency. So in that case, only the artwork in the file, the logo itself, um, takes up any space. And then the empty space around the logo is transparent. So you can put that um, over top of a color or an image and the background will show through. Um, so that's really, I think those are really, that's like a summary of the file types that you should be providing. I will say there's another file type that sometimes people consider. I don't really think um, you need to use it anymore, uh, but it's a TIFF file. And the TIFF file, the way I think about the TIFF file is it's basically like a Photoshop file for everybody because TIFF files can save um, layer information. Uh, but really, it just ends up being another raster file, pixel-based, that people don't really need. And you're, you're, you have your bases covered with JPEG and PNG. So I wouldn't worry about TIFF files. Yeah, I I totally agree with that because I would say a lot of the time that people are creating the the TIFF file would be for print purposes, and in those instances, you should be able to use any of the vector based files, or you know, if for whatever reason the the software doesn't accept uh, vector based files, you can use the uh, the JPEG file. So you're right; I don't think it is needed. Yeah, I, I absolutely. Uh think that you should leave it out but you know if you need to or if a client requests it, it it's not going to hurt anything yeah definitely um i'm just thinking as well when working on a logo you'd ideally want to make sure that that design can be used in in a number of different instances so you know you'd, you'd want to provide a number of different variations of that logo can you talk a little bit more about that as well certainly so you know, we've talked about what file formats, but, you know, maybe you're only thinking of that as here's my final logo. It's, you know, a blue circle next to some black type. Um, but, you know, you have to provide the logo uh, in a way that it can exist in different contexts. And what that means is that you might have different, what I call color schemes. Um, so you, you could have that full color standard logo, the way that it's normally meant to be presented. But then there's there's other times where you may need take uh, take like a restaurant, for example, or a fast food restaurant. Maybe they have uh, their logo printed on napkins. And those napkins are the, you know, the standard brown napkin, and they can only accept one color. So in that case, you might want to just provide a logo that's one color uh, being black, right? So an all black logo. And then tons of um, websites, you know, they have color uh, in their footers, or they have photos that they want to put their logo on top of. And sometimes the logo is going to look better just as all white in those circumstances. So, you know, you can you can call that an all white version, or I refer to it as um, a reverse version of the file. And those all white files show up in lots of places too. So I would say at the bare minimum, what you have to give your client is that full color version, the, the standard logo, the way you designed it, a, a totally black version and a totally white version. Um, and then, you know, obviously you can build out from there. Another file uh, color scheme that you might want to give is uh what we might call an inverted version where some elements of the logo are still in color and other elements are white. And typically that would be, you know, your logo mark, the thing that you think of as sort of an icon or the really graphical element of the logo, um, maybe in color, but then the type is in white. And this is sometimes just sort of a, 
I don't know, like a sexier way to present a logo on top of a color. Um, so sometimes people want to make those as well. And I think that's all the color scheme variants. Um, but there's, there's also different layouts for logos as well. Just before you go on to that, I, I just wanted to add a point I'm thinking about with white versions. Um, when, when you put black on white and then you put the same um, exact same object white on black you can get this weird optical illusion called something like a radiation phenomenon or something like that where Color basically vibration. because of the uh, not specifically it's 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 to do with the contrast white on black the objects can look bigger uh, okay. so something that i do and it depends on the logo. Sometimes you need to slightly tweak the white version of the logo when it's going to be on a high contrast color. Or uh, And sometimes there's instances where the logo inverted almost looks like a negative, you know, like a photo negative. And, right. and one example I could think of is the, uh, the lion of the FIFA logo. Okay. Um, if if you look at this, and I can add it into the show notes for this episode, the inverted version of that isn't the exact same copy of the black version. It's a modified variant that works on darker colors. So the the, the face itself, if you was actually to switch over, it, it looks wrong because uh, what's black is like all the colors are, are wrong and uh, the, the face doesn't work how it should. So that's one of the best examples I've seen of inverting that logo and i'll put examples in the show notes for this so that you guys can see how it works but sometimes if the logo just doesn't work in white on black or if you do get that weird uh, optical illusion i mentioned about it's worth tweaking that white version of that logo just so that it works in every situation don't just simply convert it to white and uh go with it as it is yeah. And I'll let you carry on, Michael. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I absolutely agree. And I, I understand what you're saying now, um, where the shapes sometimes, like you can think about a mascot logo or something like that. Like it just, yeah. the shapes do not uh, fill in and look yeah. correct. Like if you would imagine, say, an eyeball or something like that, if the, the pupil part of an eyeball is white instead of black, that doesn't yes. look right. We, yes. we reject it looks that. weird. So sometimes but there's have... also, yeah, sorry, but there's also some instances where the objects actually look larger than they should be. Um, and I can put some examples together um, just so that I can explain what I mean by that. Yeah, certainly. So that's something to consider when you're making those different versions is, mm -hmm. is it mm -hmm. still maintain the, the look and feel that you're hoping for with your primary yes. logo? Yeah, exactly. Um, just before... I interrupted you, started talking about, uh, I think it was different layouts. Do you want to carry on from where I interrupted? Okay. Yeah. I was going to say that sometimes there are um, different orientations or layouts or what I might call configurations of a logo. Um, I'll just use my really standard uh, blue circle on the left and type, you know, that's your standard logo. That might be your horizontal layout or configuration for the logo, but then you may also have um, you may also have a stacked version or a vertical version where now that blue circle is centered above the type. Um, and sometimes brands just need this because they have so many contexts in which their logo lives, and the um, the logo has to fit in a more vertical place or in a more horizontal place. So that is yet again, another type of um, variation that you might have to provide your clients with, or sometimes uh, the logo might not change its orientation, but perhaps in some context, the logo has a trademark or a registered trademark and in other contexts, it doesn't. Um, so you need to be conscious of all of those different contexts. And I've even seen people do logo variations where they know the logo is going to have to be really small. And so some elements mm -hmm. start to get lost or the typography runs together. So they have another version of their logo for very small uses or very large uses where they have kerned the type differently or they've made a stroke thicker or something like that. So there's tons of different yeah. variations to consider. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've only ever seen those tiny versions on really big brands, you know, the ones that are investing millions of pounds in their business, because sometimes, like you said, those details, when you go down really tiny, you you lose it or the, the weight of the actual object is too large. So if there's like intricate details, like an internal star or something like that, when you go really tiny, you you kind of lose the detail. So I've seen people almost make the whole body of the actual logo thinner so that it works and again I, I I've seen a number of different examples so what I will do with that is, is I'll put that in the show notes for this episode as well so that people can uh, see that I'm also thinking about the the configurations that you mentioned yeah uh, I tend to refer to them as lockups but the um, the idea is the same but the the real benefit of that is uh, a lot of People talk about logo designs being versatile and being able to have different configurations or different lockups allow for that logo to be extremely versatile, which is why I tend to favor logos that have an icon with separate text because you can really mix it up and swap it around so that you've got that logo for a number of different instances. But the amount of lockup you do is kind of dependent on on the business. But like you said, typically off the top of my head, you might have an icon to the left, text to the right, icon at the top and uh, text below. Um, obviously, you can do different configurations of that, but that tends to be the, the standard for that. Cool. Was there anything else that you wanted to add with the logo files so i think you pretty much covered it there is there is one more thing uh which is pretty important sure. um especially you know with the example you just gave of um lockups that have a sort of an elements that can be separated from each other an icon yeah. and a logo type um another way that you can make logos very versatile is to actually be able to split apart the different components. I, I call them components, but the different pieces that make up the logo. So in our, in our example of, you know, having an icon and then having, um, typography, there may be instances, um, say you have, uh, a mobile app or something and you want to use just the icon part of the logo for that mobile app. Well, you know, the clients are going to need a file that is just the, um, the logo mark or the icon. And then there may be instances where um, the, the full logo doesn't really uh, lend itself well to being in the header of a website or the footer of a website. And so you just want to have the logo type. Um, there's, you know, clients will have any different number of reasons to want to separate these things. Um, so that's another thing to consider is, do I need to provide the client with the different pieces of the logo as their own files for these other different circumstances? Yeah. I just want to quickly say within this conversation, we've jumped between using icon and symbol. And I can imagine that there's some listeners that are probably saying you're using the wrong terms. Um, but you know, in general, they do mean the same Thing. Although in logo design, technically it should be a symbol right. <laughs> rather than an icon, because right. an icon has a different use. But <laughs> I just want to put to put that in there because I know that there might be people listening thinking you're using that word wrong. <laughs> of course, and then there's monograms, which are letters and uh, all sorts of yeah. different things. But basically, the graphic that represents an the, idea, the graphical part, right, yeah, versus the. <laughs> type that says the literal name of the company yeah exactly well so far this sounds like an awful lot of files and if you plan to send a, a comprehensive kit of uh, files to clients which most professional lego designers do it's something that can take a couple of hours to prepare and where i've been leading to with this conversation is that michael's created a solution uh, to really speed up and automate the whole process of creating files. So I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about that, if you can. Okay. I would love to talk about that myself. Um, it's occupied <laughs> all of my time for the last eight months. Um, so I'm, I'm really happy that you're giving me an opportunity to talk about it. Um, yes, absolutely. So some people, you know, their their clients aren't super picky and they just need a few files. That's okay. You know, there's a whole 
there's a whole breadth of uh, experience out there. But as Ian said, if you're really trying to give your client every you know possible thing that they could need, a really robust um, kit or package of logos, then it takes it can take an hour or more. Um, you can imagine a university or something like that where they just have tons of different variations of their logo. Uh, I spoke to one woman who had to make four thousand logo files for a university product that or not product but project that she was doing. So the product that I have made is um, an Adobe Illustrator extension that is called Logo Package Express, and uh, basically it automatically generates all these variations uh, that we've been talking about. It separates all the different components that we've been talking about, you know, the symbol, the type, yeah, even taglines. And then it automatically um, recolors them in all the different color schemes that we've been talking about. And this sort of generation of all those variations happens in about two seconds. And then from there, um, you can just export the files uh, and the export, you know, can take a minute or two. And essentially, you can get 200 or more logo files automatically generated without you doing much work at all in uh, anywhere from two to five minutes using this uh, extension, Logo Package Express. Yeah, I have to say it's absolutely amazing uh, because I've been designing logos for quite a few years now and the the actual preparation of the files has always taken anywhere from a, an hour depending on how uh, concise the kit is but it, it's it's a lot of time and also sometimes you do get user error you know I've I've had the the odd time where I've accidentally saved a JPEG and it's a PSD file I don't know if you've had that but yeah. you know you, you get user error so when Michael told me about the product that he was working on it kind of blew my mind because it's like oh my god why hasn't adobe added in something like this yeah. already where you just automatically click a button and everything sorts itself puts it into files so i mean for me it's been absolutely incredible because on every single project i'm saving like an an hour for anyone that's listening that's interested in purchasing Logo Package Express, head to logogeek.uk forward slash extension using the promo code logogeek to get 20% off. Again, head to logogeek.uk forward slash extension using the promo code logogeek to get 20% off. As we mentioned in this podcast, this extension for Illustrator saves so much time and I personally feel it's an absolute must have if you are a professional logo designer so make sure to go and check it out anyway let's get back to the interview how did you come up with this idea and could you tell us a little bit more about the the journey that you've been through to get to the product that, that you currently have now yeah absolutely uh my girlfriend is sick of hearing about it so i am happy to share it with uh <laughs> with all of you guys um you can just send people to this podcast now <laughs> yes just at dinner uh no that's okay just go to the logo geek podcast please <laughs> just go lesson yeah. yeah thank you um so basically um you know without getting into ancient history uh i was a freelance designer and i had two major contracts one of the contracts had fallen through and I had made a little bit of a cushion for myself where I could take some time to explore personal projects. So I started reading a book called Designing Products People Love, and it's by uh, a designer named Scott Herf. Uh, that's H-U-R-F-F. I'm sure it'll be in the in the notes. But uh, <laughs> Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes so that people don't need to try writing that down. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I'll give you a really long URL next that you have to write down as, as well. Um, right. So I started reading this book and, and within the first chapter or so, the, the, the biggest point was simply, you don't think that just because you have a good, that you have a good idea for something that you would like that anybody else is going to buy it or think it's interesting. Instead, do some solid research, find out what people are talking about, what they need, what they want. Um, and the, 
the book then led me to another resource, which was um, Amy Hoy and Alex Hillman. And they have a, uh, they have a class that they teach called 30 by 500, which is all about this concept of, of making sort of small products and, and, and building a business around that. And their technique is called sales safari. And basically what it is, is instead of going up to your friends or even people you think might be customers and saying, Hey, what do you need? What do you think about? Um, because they're not going to, they're not going to have an answer. Instead, they say that you should go to um, forums, you should go to places online where people freely talk. Uh, think about like Reddit or um, Stack Exchange, um, those sorts of blogs. People are asking questions. That's why they're there. They're having problems. And if you can go through and find out problems that people are consistently having, not only are you going to find something that people are willing to buy if you can think of an idea for how to solve their problem but you're also going to see how they talk about it and what words they use around it and that makes it really easy to craft messaging when you ultimately make your product um, it makes it really easy to talk to those people so in uh, dragging it out didn't mean it to make it that long but um, essentially what i did is i went to forums i found out that People mainly didn't know what logo files to give their clients, which you know we're talking about on this podcast. So it's it's obviously um, something that people often wonder about. So you know, my brain went to, uh, well, I can I can tell them what files they need, or I could make something that automatically creates the files that they need, and that's what kind of got me started on the path to uh, where I ultimately ended up now. When I began, I didn't know how to code, especially not the type of code you need to make an Adobe Illustrator extension. But I did know how to make actions. I did know how to modify like script files that other people had written. So I created my first version of Logo Package Express, which was sort of templates, actions, and scripts for Illustrator, and then a, a you know a tutorial that taught people how to do it. And I did get the process down to around five to ten minutes to make. A lot of logo files, um, but I wasn't sure that, you know, when I when I launched, uh, I'd been I'd been trying to to market the product and communicate about it. And when I launched that first time, which was uh, October of 2018, I only had two people buy the product. <laughs> um, and then by the time you know three months had rolled by, I'd had four people buy it. And I was starting to feel like, you know, I, I think this is a good idea, but nobody else is seeing it. And I had just about given up, but I made a sort of like last ditch holiday sale and a friend, a, a, I didn't know who he was then, but now he's a friend um, named Arun uh, shared this product because he saw me post about it. He shared Logo Package Express with Ian, and Ian actually reached out to me and you know, was totally willing to help me uh, get this in front of a wider audience. And due to that, you know, I, I was able to validate the fact that people wanted this, they just needed to see it. And that gave me the confidence to move forward with the next step of making an actual uh, Adobe Illustrator extension that is just miles ahead of the first version of the product that I had. So thank you. Yeah, I would say, um, yeah, no worries. You're welcome. I would say the, the first time I saw that product, even though it was actions and scripts, which to be honest, any designer who's able to write scripts could prepare something similar themselves. And I, I think that was your real challenge, but the actual need it was solving was absolutely amazing. And, um, I've been using those actions and scripts now for a couple of months. And even that, as it was, that made my life so much easier because it, it drastically reduced down the the amount of time. And I mean, just using um, artboards. For, for anyone that doesn't want to buy the product, you can actually use artboards and separate them and export out artboards into different formats. And I, I mean, for me, I've, I've heard people do that before, but I couldn't work out 
the 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 best way to do it but that what you did you you created a product that had the artboards already in there you press play it copied them all into all of these things you manually tweak things you run it through a script it converts it all chucks it down into files and then you created another little separate tool that then sorted those so for me that that reduced that from you know taking an hour and being an extremely boring job to something that took five minutes and when you're working as a freelancer time is money so something that I was charging an hour or two for took me five minutes so I'd make (laughs) I'd, I'd basically make more money so when I was spending those two hours doing that previously now I could just click a couple of buttons and then go downstairs and and have dinner and you know be quite happy that I'd finished that a lot faster than I used to so I you know I reached out to you that time because I thought this product is amazing and when you told me about the next step which was turning that into an actual extension built into Illustrator that blew my mind it's like this is so cool and I, I knew that people would be really interested about it, which is why I wanted to talk about this. So in terms of your story, you've got to where you created those actions and scripts. Can you carry on with where you went from there to actually start building the um, the actual extension? Yeah, I, I can certainly do that. Um, two things I, w- I would like to say in addition to what we've already talked about is I've left out a, a major feature so far in my description of our of the tool, which is that it also names all of these files for you with like a really simple to follow naming structure, yes. and it sorts and it puts it all into folders. Yes, it sorts all of those <laughs> files into a folder structure that's going to be really easy for your client to understand. So you might have been thinking, well, what am I going to do with two hundred files? I got to put these all in folders. That doesn't save me any time but it actually automatically um, sorts and names everything as well. Um, and the other thing is that, you know, since I was a freelancer, I was kind of thinking that this would be useful for freelancers, but it's, but the same thing applies to agencies. Um, if an agency can get their designers off of sort of uh, a time sucking uh, production task, like making a logo package, they can get more billable hours out of that designer too. So it's also something that, you know, agencies will, will want to take a look at. Um, but picking up the, the story. So the next step was, um, I'll just, I'll just be transparent with some numbers. As soon as I made $1,000 in sales off of the, 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 what I call the bundle version of logo package express, um, I knew that I could continue to to get money from it, and therefore I could make the investment of hiring a developer, because I I, I believe I could have figured it out with about two or three years of my time to to learn everything that's involved, and uh, you know maybe, but I would have rather been just making money from designing cool websites and logos and things like that for clients instead of really just working away at learning code. So I decided to hire a developer and the search process was not extensive. (laughs) I went to the sort of forums that I'd been using back when I was learning how to make the scripts for the original version. And I just kind of asked some of the most helpful people um, who they knew because if you ask somebody directly, say like, hey, I have this project, I, I would like you to do it, you could, you could get um, them to say yes. But if you, if you ask somebody, hey, do you know anybody, then that gives them an opportunity to say, uh, yeah, I know me, I'll do it. Um, or to say, yeah, I know somebody really great because that person might have a lot on their plate And then the fact that you've asked them about it, maybe they'll just ignore you because they have a lot on their plate. But if they can refer you to somebody else, um, then they'll often do it. So that was my approach. And I got a few names. I reached out. I got a few estimates. And I went with the one that made most business sense for me, but also that I was highly confident that this developer would be able to create the extension. And I would love to be able to um, give him 
the credit he deserves. His name is Trevor. He goes by Trevor. And his uh, website is creative-scripts.com. So if you guys are you know, looking for uh, extensions for yourself or whatever, reach out to him. He's, he's amazing. But we started working together and I'd, I'd, I'd given him the proposal and my sort of outline. And I was thinking about things as a designer, um, especially a freelance designer who kind of runs his own business. I was thinking, okay, I'm going to make all of the mock-ups. I'm going to make the design of this. We're going to make the user flow. We're going to get all of that stuff settled first, and then we'll start development because I didn't want his development time to be wasted. Well, he kind of had a different approach. He was thinking, I know there are things that this has to do, so I will just write those functions in the meantime um, because they're absolutely going to have to happen. And what ended up happening was this really interesting collaboration um, because both of us were had a vision, um, but both of us were were compromising too. And so he would implement what he thought was the best way to sort of have the users create these logo packages. And I would have my sort of grand idea for this really nice interface. And we'd come together and we'd find out what was actually very important from his side and what was very important from my side. And we totally came up with a much better product that's, that's way simpler than what my original idea was because of it. And I want to say we started in January with the expectation that we'd be done by March. Um, and it just, it just kept going and going and going. I mean, it was always really productive, but you just never can really, if it's your first product anyways, really sort of nail down how much time and effort it's going to take. Um, so we were ready to go to beta by the middle of April. I had a list of people who wanted to help me test it. Um, if you're ever going to make something for people, I highly recommend you have strangers and people of different abilities test it for you. You're going to find some stuff you would have never thought of. But they tested. We found about 10 or 11 things that could be improved. We made those improvements and then just hustled until um, the launch date that I had picked, which was May 6th. And now it's out and everyone uh, is loving it. And yeah. Yeah, like I said, I, it's an absolutely amazing product. Um, I think you've solved a, a problem that I didn't really see as a problem. And, you know, you saved a lot of time. So, you know, logo designers, it, it's it's around $100. Yep. But it will save you hours, well, you know, an hour or so on every single project that you ever do if you are the type of, professional graphic designer who are creating a concise kit for your clients and you know if you are a, a logo designer and you're currently not doing that i would highly recommend to start doing that and this will significantly speed up that process like i said i've been doing this for a number of years and when michael told me about this product i just thought it was an absolutely fantastic idea and i'm you know really grateful that you've created it because it saved me or already just from those scripts that you originally created it saved me hours um so i really hope that uh people will start to download it and use that and also i would say you sharing this story it's inspiring for anyone that wants to um, start creating products because as a graphic designer or developer or however you see yourself, a, a lot of the time I do anyway, I trade my time for money. So clients come to me, they need something, I'll create it and then I send it to them. But you created a product that will be a passive income for you ongoing. And, you know, you should have a stable income pretty much for the rest of your life now that you created that thing. Because uh, the idea is you create a product once and then you can sell it multiple times and, and make a, eventually anyway, once you've covered your cost, you can make a passive income. Right. It's, um, it's, it's called a passive income and it certainly is more passive than trying to get clients and, um, and you know, working your hours for them and billing. Uh, but it is your product will never succeed no matter how good it is unless you put those hours into writing 
really good copy and writing good emails and having ways for people to get on. I mean, you know, because your, your, your blog and your, your logo geek is essentially a product. um, Yeah, it is. Yeah, you're right. Even though it's a service that I'm trading time for money, I have to constantly work on that. But what I do think the beauty of creating a product and it's something that I'd like to do at some point, creating a product once you made it, and you've invested that time in it, okay, with with software, with, you know, SaaS model, um, you still need to do customer services and maintenance. So there is ongoing work. Um, but, you know, you're going to have some nights when you go to bed and you wake up in the morning and you made a few hundred pounds from uh, people that have been shopping online whilst you've been asleep. And I think it's good for graphic designers to start thinking about this. And I think you you've shown everyone how they can do that by actually genuinely solving a problem partnering up with someone and uh launching that product right definitely i mean i I live in chicago so i don't know what these pounds you're talking about are but i have definitely (laughs) woken up uh to more money than i had before so uh certainly it's a path worth pursuing and i never saw myself on it until last year and this is how quickly things can come together so um you know just do the research. Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing. Now, I just thought of a topic that we probably should have covered at the beginning of the podcast. Um, we haven't really covered prepping the files before um, you actually send them to the client. So, I mean, what, what we have discussed is what files we should send, but we haven't really spoken about how do we prepare how do we tidy up the artwork how do we get it ready so that we can export that out do you have any thoughts that you want to add on that side of things yeah so i call that the sort of production phase making sure that your your logos are production ready and this is this is very important um the the biggest two things that you need to do if you do nothing else and i highly recommend you do more but if you do nothing else You need to convert the type that's in your logo to outlines um, because if you send that that logo file to a printer or to a client and they don't have your font, it's going to replace with some default font and then your logo hopefully doesn't look better with a default font, um, but your logo is going to be really messed up. The next thing that you should do is make sure that your uh, all of the shapes that you're using are uh, expanded and turned into solid shapes. So if you have something with a lot of strokes in it, um, you need to expand those strokes because again, what's gonna happen is if uh, a printer needs to scale it up or another designer needs to work with it um, and they're not as familiar as you are, depending on the settings in your file, you may end up with a logo where the strokes are much thicker or thinner than you intended them to be. Um, So if everything is just a solid, shape, you're never going to run into that problem. Um, And then, of course, there are ways to make sure that your shapes are less complicated by reducing the anchor points. Um, It all gets really technical, but I would say the two biggest things you need to do are outline your type and make sure that your shapes are expanded. Yeah, that's really good advice. And I just want to add to that as well. I would recommend that you copy the finished logo over to a a new document and I mean I've been doing that myself for a number of years but I went to a workshop with Aaron Draplin um, in Birmingham which was probably around a year ago now and uh, he told me the story about this agency that uh, the director in in house wrote the graphic designer an email something like can you quickly make this change I want to get rid of this woman I can't stand her you know something like that it wasn't the type of email that you would want the customer to see and he copy and pasted that email in Ooh. to the illustrator file to reference it forgot it was in oh, there <laughs> saved it all out and the client saw it <laughs> no good and yeah you don't want that situation to happen and i mean hopefully people wouldn't do that type of thing anyway but uh you know just to avoid anything like that always copy into a new document and also there's a really amazing tool that i use from astute graphics i'm not sure if you're i am now yes um but there's there's one really amazing tool within it that i use on every project called uh, the point remove brush and it's 
kind of like a rubber that will remove unwanted points from your artwork so if you're like me sometimes you you know you draw a shape you expand it it can have loads of redundant points that you don't need in there and um whilst this doesn't make the artwork look any different it massively reduces down the file size so you know if you're creating things like svgs and you want to place it into a website that will help massively um, because it's it's reduced the file size and the load speed and stuff like that. But just in general, you can make your artwork much more professional doing that, you know, cleaning up, getting it all ready. And then, uh, like we spoke about earlier in the conversation, you can then prepare all of those um, files. Yeah, and your, your, your story about Aaron Draplin made me think of, you know, uh, another technique that I like to use. I like to make a, a master file for the final artwork. Um, I also call it like an evergreen master logo file. Uh, and I'm gonna write a blog post about this as well. But essentially that final file for the logo, I always have the expanded and outlined shapes on uh, their own layers. And then I have the original sort of regular shapes that haven't been expanded and the type just in case you know, some the, the client does come back in the way that they did in your in your story and ask for a change that I know I have the final artwork, but it's also in an editable um, format. So I can go in and change that kerning or I can increase that stroke width and then I can just copy within that file into the um, into the outlines layers and continually always have a master file that I can update really quickly in case I do need to make those sorts of small changes at the last minute. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good advice. And you just made me think of another thing in terms of tidying up that file ready to save it out. Um, in the swatch palettes, I always remove everything from there just so that the document is just really clean and um, has minimal uh, data in, in the file just so that it's you know, really compressed. And I, I think that's the, the most professional way of doing it. And I, I think we've, I hope that we've covered every aspect of that so that you can get your artwork really polished up and ready so that, you know, when you are ready to create the files that we've spoken about, um, you can do that. Cool. So we, we're nearly at um, about the length of time for a podcast. So I'm going to throw in one last question for you and hopefully it's not too much of a challenging one. But um, if you could travel back in time and offer your younger self just one piece of advice, and that can be at any age in your life. If you could go back and offer yourself just one piece of advice, what would that advice be? Oh man, yeah, that's uh, that's the life question, right? <laughs> um, I'll I'll keep it to uh, design because I think that'll be the most interesting. Um, so the advice that I would give to myself, especially when I was just starting off, because I worked at agencies when I started um, and I was dealing with not only clients, but also other employees. Um, I would say, you know, if you're self-taught and you're watching all these tutorials or you just came out of design school, you're really finely tuned to think about the aesthetics of things. And what I would say is to myself is like, put your design brain aside for a second, when you're taking um, criticism or feedback, I wouldn't say criticism, feedback from uh, your client or from another employee, remember that there's always a real reason behind what they're asking for that's more important than the way something looks. Because they are trying to sell something they are trying to provide a service. They could be a um, nonprofit and they're trying to help as many people as possible. Just remember that there's a real reason behind this request to make the logo pop or make it bigger or whatever thing it is we're used to, you know, sort of like making fun of. Um, and try and assume the point of view of that other person. And then once you understand what that real problem is, then go back to using your design brain to try and figure out how can we affect the way that this is this design that I'm working on is looking or the way we're communicating about something to solve that real problem that I now understand that is bigger than make it pop or make it more colorful. 
uh, because that would have saved me a lot of headache and a lot of pain and just feeling like they don't like my design or in feeling like they were dumb because they just didn't get it. Um, instead, it can be like, you know, now I can really help them. And actually, I'm really even more clever now because I can solve this bigger problem than I thought I was solving before. So I think that's the advice I would give myself. Yeah, I think that's actually amazing advice for anyone of any age in their career. Um, because if they are looking at graphic design as purely a a visual thing, they're always going to run into these problems with clients. But if you are collaborating with them to solve a problem and you both collectively agree as to what that problem is, then you know you could work towards finding the the most appropriate solution for that rather than design something that you think looks nice. So I think that's really solid advice. Great. Well, Michael, it's been really great chatting with you. Thank you so much for your time. And um, again, thank you for creating the Logo Package Express product. You know, it's, it's amazing. It's already saved me loads of time. And I'm sure all of the listeners that have already downloaded that will also agree with that so you know just thank you so much for your time it's been great chatting with you yeah thank you so much for having me on this is my first podcast ever so very exciting and uh i'm i'm really happy that people are starting to use uh logo package express and, and are getting some value out of it so thanks so much for helping me um, let people know that it's out there you're very welcome If you listen to this and you are keen to go and check out Logo Package Express, head to logogeek.uk forward slash extension and be sure to use the promo code logogeek to get 20% off. Again, that is logogeek.uk forward slash extension using the promo code logogeek to get 20% off. As I said, this is probably the best extension for logo designers. So I highly recommend you go and check it out because it's totally worth the investment. Now, in this interview, I mentioned a number of different examples to help explain what I uh, meant. And I've included images in the show notes for this episode, along with a transcription too. So if you want to go and check those images out that I mentioned, head to the show notes for this episode, which you can find at logogeek.uk forward slash 5.7. Now, if you're keen to discuss anything mentioned in this episode with myself or Michael, make sure that you join the Logo Geek community on Facebook. It's totally free to join that and to find it, just head to logogeek.uk forward slash community. So that is it for this week. I'll be back the same time next week for another exciting episode of the Logo Geek podcast. Podcast.